KZSU, Stanford, 94.1 FM. I'm Mark Molino. This is the Henry George Program. This is a show all about land use, politics, and much more. Today in the program, I've been convinced to talk about San Francisco politics with Max Kapczynski. Back in the program once more. This was recorded a bit before released, before more stuff came out about Valley Brown misrepresenting evictions. It doesn't really affect the gist of it. About how SF is screwy. So let's just get into things. Welcome, Max. Hi, Mark. It's good to be back. So I, I'm on the record, and I still firmly believe uh, in it, that SF, uh, not worth thinking about. Uh, I think it's a diseased discourse place. It's not important. And I just kind of want to quarantine it and never think about it again. Uh, but you said, uh, let's talk about SF uh, election coming up. And wh- why, why shouldn't I just write it off and continue my program of just pretending SF doesn't exist? Well, San Francisco politics is a diseased, cancer-ridden um just black around the edges with 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 decay, um, but I think we have to save it because uh, you'd be kind of letting your nose fall off to spite your face. We all depend on the power in San Francisco, its national profile, its um, and housing being built there. Because if housing isn't built there because our policies fail, it won't be built anywhere else because our policies won't be working. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's, it's I find it. I guess here is where I'm coming from. I guess one is, of all the places that need the most change, the peninsula is just disgusting and needs to be changed ASAP. You go to SF. That is true. It's mostly, you know, it the built environment is nice and, like, isn't, like, strip malls. And yeah, like, they, even the west side. Like, even the west side is... Bus rapid transit, Muni. Yeah. Like, duplexes, row housing. Like, we're that's much better than the peninsula. I mean, if you just want to, you know, drop load a bunch of housing, I would say... Uh, they would be way down the queue behind the peninsula. Oh my me. gosh, yes, yeah. exactly. Even the worst parts of, of San Francisco proper. Um, but any mechanism that would crack the nut of San Francisco, where the housing costs the most, where the homeowners have so much power, in, in this certain way that they do, yeah. not in the precise way that they do in the peninsula, but like SB50, say. It would work in San Francisco, it would work in the peninsula. Um, kind of in the same way, insofar as if San Francisco can deal with the west side... They have what it takes for the region to deal with Palo Alto. Actually, oh, maybe I might I might take that back because San Francisco is a city county. It's incredibly small, as our as our listeners know. It's an, an anomaly in American cities for being a city county that is so small, and for being part of a metropolitan area that it has a minority of population in and a minority of influence over its neighbors. It's very strange in that. And if San Francisco were to be given powers that could upzone the West Side, et cetera. It's entirely possible that it could not touch the peninsula. So if it if it's a Sacramento rule, it could. But if it's just specifically within San Francisco, it's entirely possible it could not help I guess I'm talking else. about ideologically, because mm. I've, I've said for a while, if SF was going to annex, you know, I think they should annex most of San Mateo County. Oh, yeah. So, and, and I think all the big cities should annex, you know, San Jose should eat up all Santa Clara County. Yeah. Like, Sam, there should be an equidistant line. Um, it should be split into thirds. San Francisco, yep. San Mateo, San Jose. Or maybe call, you know, the United Palo Alto, Sunnyvale, Mountain View if you want. That could be its own city. That's many hundreds of thousands of people. But uh, draw lines that go all the way out to the Pacific or maybe all the way out to Skyline if you want to leave, you know, Pescadero alone or whatever. And make those three cities. Make them three cities all the way down to San Jose. But will this work 
if SF is unwilling and unable to deal with the West Side, it kind of speaks poorly that annexation will actually allow Palo Alto to get upzoned, as opposed to the sunset gets away with murder. Why wouldn't Palo Alto get away with murder? I think yeah. absolutely would. And especially considering that there's no countervailing local force in Palo Alto. For Palo Alto to be fixed, it's got to be a regional or state project driven by ideology. It's never going to be fixed within. And, and you have to have like coherent things, such as it is morally abhorrent to have a home cost to $3 million. Like If that happens, you need to throw out every policy you have in the book because it's obviously... Yeah. <laughs> it, it's not, you don't have a good coherent system going on. Yeah, and this is good. The X minutes into the show, we've distilled out this essential point is that administ- if we're so attached to administration, it's entirely possible to, you know, to tunnel vision on San Francisco and not fix the region. But we must focus on the ideology that an ideology that can work and bring a political project together that works in San Francisco and expand it to the broader region behind this one ideology. It must be expanded and we must use San Francisco, Oakland and the more urban parts of Los Angeles, et cetera, to fight the Palo Altos. And I guess here's the thing too, is like when you talk about SF discourse, you are not like just exporting from the cultural hub of SF, you're exporting from like a few blocks in the mission, more or less. <laughs> you know, it's like this little area kind of controls everything and the same thing. They it's it's just this tunnel vision. And I guess this is the other reason I want to avoid SF. There is so much cultural baggage from just incredibly stupid stuff. You have uh, housing activism with, I think, incoherent and bad ideology from 1970 and earlier still be the present force. And they're being opposed by, uh, I think, the SF Yimby scene is much more market urbanist flavored than anyone else. And I think it's just two bad choices most of the time. Yeah, and- you get to pick between Dean Preston, Matt Iglesias, and Aaron Peskin. Yeah. And I want to throw up given those prospects. <laughs> and that's the thing, too. I feel like the mods, I mean, so, okay, the progs and mods in San Francisco, you know, the mods are the pro-business side and the SFUMB yeah. types have thrown behind them. I mean, for... Yeah, they- so for the, for the peninsula-bound or... Um, or rare and elite non-California or non-Bay Area listeners, if you're a progressive in San Francisco, that means you're left-wing roughly on culture war stuff and sometimes performatively anti-business and hard right-wing on tenants and small business and expanding the city's power. That's a progressive in San Francisco. If you're a moderate, you're like a Chamber of Commerce Democrat, you might be a YIMBY. Yeah, but I would say, I mean, I think that's the... I wouldn't say that about tenants issues, though, because I feel like the the overall Calvin Welch mindset for decades has been you allow no development to make the homeowners happy and you get a protection of rent control as the consequence. So it's just a no change coalition. Yes. I mean, these people won't piss on a renter if they were on fire. (laughs) They would let them die. And they have been. Yeah. And they have no attachment to saving renters. And they wouldn't, you know, go to court with Dean Preston. Um, been he has out. He has made his career trying to save renters. I think the that's a, that's Prague a, people yeah. have not. Yeah, they have no cares about renters. They would love to see them all go. Um, I mean, there's and a, they are actively opposed to measures that would bring renters back in. I think there's two cases here. One is you have I think the the real tenant wing of the. Calvin Welch mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. Cal- Calvinism is <laughs> is a way of pre- protecting tenants in, I think, a way that's incoherent and 
doesn't really make a lot of sense. He himself has been uh, a property owner for, for 40 years now, uh, but he first pr- protected tenants in the, the hate Ashbury back in mm-hmm. 1970. Okay, so you, we, do we want to go in a little bit oh, on yeah, Calvin go. Welch's background? Because we're going to talk about Welchism. Yeah. That was yeah. a, th- a so lovely many term that congealed in the pre-show <laughs> conversation that I want to come back to. I, I mean, there is a mindset of it, people feel it's like uh, the right one can blame everything on, on George Soros. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think a lot of people uh, will blame every bit of bad discourse in housing on Calvin Welch. The difference is it's true. Calvin Welch is responsible. <laughs> like, it's funny. People are doing research in all these different kind of uh, s- small housing cases and, like, the idea of this weird, this idea, how did uh, protecting exclusionary homeowners become woke? And every step along the way, Calvin Welch is like the puppet master. He really has, he is such an important figure in building up these ideas that people who are still, like you could be 20 years old, just join DSA, and it's like, oh, what should tenants do? It's like, well, upzoning is neoliberal. Uh, you need to uh, listen to this, uh, you know, this, this, this lecture. And it's usually two steps removed from, from Calvin Welch. It's very, very odd. I mean, upzoning as we have done it is neoliberal. But fighting up zoning is not socialist. Yeah, that's the thing. You get a dichotomy, and it's two bad choices. Yes. Once more, uh, Calvin Welch he protected uh, the Haight Ashbury uh, tenants in about 1970 uh, from development from like local hospitals through a very innovative and very long-sided downzoning program, which uh, is just completely like it's a totally alien planet compared to what we have now. One led to the other gradually, and yeah. it's still the same city, et cetera. But in terms of what's at stake, who the bad people are, what the consequence, totally, completely alien and different. But what's fun is they created uh, a set of rules 50 years ago that has not changed. It is still in place. And that is the thing about downzoning. I believe it, even in the short term, can be enormously pragmatic as far as a way to suppress land values in order to you know hit the snooze button stave off the inevitable mm. and the thing is and it can also be a tool to bring up land values when it's favorable for you yes i mean it is well, not to bring up say the value of a single family the floor space in a single family home the yeah to bring up the value of a single family home the value that it can offer to someone renting it land values are i think universally suppressed by downzoning if you want to think about it in like the more tactical sense, but macro wise, it's driving up housing prices, downzoning. It's, it's a question. To try, to try to disconnect them, separate them there. I mean, large picture, do you protect renters by keeping land values low? I would say this is one is do you want to keep land values low forever? I'd say no, insofar as higher land values are actually good it means you have more money for services it means you have a like more it's more desirable in every kind of way you want higher land values but you don't want higher land values to mean that renters are displaced kicked out out of luck paying higher rents higher land values are compatible with an equitable society and they are compatible with i mean if you if you in in a stalinist society there's no such thing as land values but high land values are compatible with social democracy democratic socialism high levels of state ownership blah 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 yeah. high land values are high housing costs and extreme financialization and commodification of land and and housing space are not are not equitable are not compatible and, with democratic socialism and those are the assumptions you come in with which is like well we are obviously not going to change the 
ideas of the investment uh, of, of real estate for, for everybody, for every parcel of land, uh, that's going to happen. So within this framework, what do you Oh, do? yeah, it's assumed, and it's assumed in Welchism, and it's assumed in uh, Dean Preston thought. Yeah, so D- Welch in the 70s sold this to homeowners saying, this won't actually hurt your property values. You're afraid it will increase your property values. So he just made like a purely economic argument. So like, he had a, at that time, that is a coherent ideology. And it remains that. There Progism is, is not, but that ideology on that, that Welchism is crystal clear. So here is, okay, so my ideology is really about taking away from the landed, giving to the landless. This is, I think, coherent. That is a socialistic principle. <laughs> I think it's good. That is not pres- present in <laughs> Dean Preston's thought. Yes, and I think that is the thing, uh, is, <laughs> is there is... That is a coherent ideology. It's very hard politics because yes. because it land reform is historically one of the hardest things to do. So instead of doing that, what you can do is instead of actually taking from the landed, let's say you allow the landed to keep their land and you allow homeowners to even keep their investment in their land. And you also have uh, some sort of giveaways to make sure the tenants aren't displaced. It That's a very solid coalition. Yeah. And that is... Ta- ta- yeah. That is totally that is totally coherent. That is politically popular, um, and you can still get you know you can get a little bit of cheap heat out of one party against the other while you know promising that that their interests are fulfilled. And that in the seventies took a certain form, but now it basically takes its form as leaving the status quo unchanged. And yeah. homeowners are pleased because they don't have to lose their property and property rights, and tenants are pleased because fighting the status quo means. Fighting for them, hopefully fighting eviction. So okay, so back to Prague before we get into yes. this election with with Dean Preston. Yeah, which that's, I what feel, we're, that's what we're going to frame yeah. the show with this election. We yeah, we're already talking about every you know third degree removed issue from it, but and everything is so volatile that I feel you need context in order to make sure that it's because it is just uh you know uh, it's it's just the Super Bowl. Pick a side. Uh, okay, oh, goodness, so, yeah, no, yeah. gosh. Uh, so Prague's. Aaron Peskin, uh, you know, is is currently one of the supervisors in SF and is more or less the kind of boss of the progs in the same way that Ed Lee was kind of the boss of the mods. Mm, and in, that kind of London breed is now. Yeah, I think she's more or less taken over. I, yeah. I don't really see any power struggle. Uh, and I would say, you know, Peskin, an enormously effective political operator who has taken kind of the Welch ideas, the stable thing, put in. Uh, more kind of backhanded handouts to developing tech while being ostensibly uh, you know against it. He he at once fought against the cafeterias for tech workers, and at the same time is actually helped, helping develop the Soma Plan. Uh, Boston Properties apparently one of his biggest uh, you know donors. Yeah, and is and is all at the same time solidly um, acting and campaign and legislating on behalf of small businesses. And their owners and uh, single family homeowners, upper up middle class and upper middle class and upper class um, homeowners. Yeah. So the Salesforce Tower upzoning is for it. But he is now very concerned about and this goes with the, the Tim Redman. Tim Redman, I think, is more mm. of a true believer, whereas Peskin takes it to, you know, he takes the same ideas and makes it political gold. Uh, and is Redmond just some guy or does he hold power? Who, where is he? He holds power as king of 48 Hills. Uh, oh, oh, I see. I, I don't okay, know if gotcha. he ran for stuff, but. Well, I mean, that's power, and people, and like that is that is worth recognizing as power. So, if if uh, SB fifty were to up zone, uh, you know, single family homes to quadplexes, or yeah. uh, 
this is seen as a problem to Tim Redmond because this would uh, displace owner occupiers who choose to to uh, build on their their land. Uh, which is that's a very weird kind of displacement to care about. We've talked about this before. <laughs> I still think it's weird. Uh, and Peskin is dealing with, with like uh, it seems weird to us on the outside, but it's a very effective political signaling yeah. because he is talking to his base. We're on Twitter going like, "Oh, what a weirdo!" But he is talking to his base, and they're listening to him. Yeah. So, in Peskin, in another form of I think great politics, is like he put together. It failed. So maybe it's not good politics. <laughs> uh, but they're trying to actually push it through. It is an anti-demo plan. For upzoning, which at once make it harder to displace renters if, like, if anything is is you know Ellis acted you know as in, but I mean uh, SB fifty already has protections against uh, Ellis Act upzonings. Yeah, but this and is kind these, of and this is totally coherent with Peskinism, Welchism, because they will look at the anti-displacement efforts in SB fifty and say it's not enough. We have to go farther to protect renters, and but not just then renters. will not protect renters. But not just renters. The uh, the demo plan is largely about making it extremely hard for single family homes to ever be changed to duplexes, quadplexes, yeah. or or higher higher things. It has to go through a lot of extra uh, planning, whatever. Yeah, because we were talking about surface level culture war stuff appealing to maybe very popular or um, external facing on you know regional, state, or federal levels to be to be anti renter displacement and stuff like that, but also you know, indirectly signaling or directly stating, oh, homeowners, this is for you. This is for you. Listen up. This is for you. Yeah. Material class analysis time. Uh, Aaron, Aaron Peskin uh, is himself. Uh, he is uh, kind of a homeowner in a weird way. He owns two halves of a duplex and lives in them both, which is what a thing uh, normal people do. That's very interesting. That's a normal guy thing to do. Yeah, he owns both parts and he like bought the other one. Or it's so the same building or it's half of yeah, one. He, okay. There's a staircase combining the two and they're completely separate units outside of that. It's kind of weird stuff. Uh, he's also a landlord. Always. So is it like having two email addresses? Like one that junk goes to? What, like if he like if he signs, if like he gets flyered outside of Pete's, like does he put like, you know, 258B uh and then if for you know stuff he wants to get like bills, it goes to two five eight A or something That's like that. That's interesting because I know there's always a lot of you have to keep up appearances, especially when you're like subdividing and stuff. It's always fun to go around and you see like you kind of have like, to pretend you're living in both and you're not just <laughs> reoccupying. Yeah, count the number of meters, you know, to see if it's been joined or something. Um, <laughs> he has like two gas meters, you know, coming back in like a T fitting, going to his stove or whatever. So he's running two meters at once. Yeah, and he's also like yeah, normal guy stuff. He's, Great. He's, he's against you know conversions and all this. It's like. I feel in some sense, I'm not willing to say like, oh, you're a hypocrite because you did something. Don't, you know, I'm going to jo- I'm going to judge you by what you did instead of what you're for. But he continues to be a homeowner and landlord. I would say uh, I, I would, I'd like to see a lot less landlords in politics. And that's material class analysis. Oh, you did this. You said you stand for this thing, but you did the other thing. Gosh, his economic interests were crystal clear the entire time. Hmm. Yeah, I, what? Uh, yeah, it's uh, there. There was an article about uh, the state legislature. I think every single person in the state legislature is a homeowner, and I think something <laughs> like approaching a third of them. I think it was a tremendous amount. I'd like the number offhand. Is but Scott Weiner a homeowner? Everybody is. Uh, mm. David Chu, I think, became a homeowner in the last like two years, which is like mm. you're so close. Just keep being a renter because you'll, you'll 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 have better class now. Like you're you're like a like both better and worse kind of homeowner because you are more acutely affected by the affordability crisis. You do pay updated property taxes, 
but you're also really committed to keeping land values high because otherwise you take a bath. And I'd say even if you it's are like just woke, two kinds of ho- just awful difference in kinds of homeowners. Even if you're woke, it changes the way you think. Oh uh, yeah, it really does. A, a third of the people are landlords in the state legislature. Insane. Like that's not okay. That's yeah. So a third are landlords, remainder homeowners. <laughs> yes, and, and, and of this, Aaron Peskin is is a is a landlord. Uh, uh, fewer on, on the west side is is a, is a uh, is a landlord. Everybody is a homeowner, I think, except for London Breed, uh, if I have my information right. Holla. Yeah, which it's, 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 I think, the least you could do. I would say, especially if you are a tenant, uh, if you're a tenant activist, I think you need to be a tenant because it actually gets you in the muck and, uh, and lets you know what, what's yeah. going on. Well, and that's, I think that's part of why people like London Breed, a part of why her politics are moving in a better direction why mods are generally moving for a better San Francisco and a more equitable San Francisco than Prague's. They might be new homeowners and are, like I said, exposed to the affordability crisis in a greater way. I think more overwhelmingly from a poorer background, from a renter background. Whereas if you're a Prague and you're not a longtime homeowner, I am interested. Like, are there any renter Prague's? Um, I think not, not, currently uh but so here is the thing about this it's like the progs i dislike because i feel they are they are ostensibly the left of the two coalitions they present themselves as such yes but they are by the way like the progs are aaron peskin uh you know who is in the north beach area yeah uh, also the financial district and if we talk about you know if we talk about material class analysis and sorry to keep interrupting but i want to make this point oh yes yes, yes. if we're being material uh and I was exp- I don't want I don't know how much I want to read into this if it's just tea leaves or if it but I think it tells a useful story. Aaron Peskin represents the financial district and Chinatown and like Russian Hill Knob Hill. Those are very very different places, but Aaron Peskin serves all of them. Yes, and I think he's he, pro the biz- the small businesses in Chinatown. He came he, from he the caters- hill dwellers, yeah. uh, which is like the please st- we please protect our views because we have a nice hill near Telegraph Hill. Yeah, yeah, and that's and he and it, he is pro you know Union Square department stores. He is coherently represents Union Square Chinatown and North Beach Knob Hill Russian Hill. He coherently represents them all by being for all of their interests. And he will tell you, you don't need to look too deeply about it, but it's all presented with this left-wing veneer that makes his like legislation and actual opinions and power like it look incoherent. But once you look under the surface, no, he's serving all of their interests and fronting as the left of center. Yeah. And the thing is, the, the alliance for the progs includes west side people they mm-hmm. are officially part of like i don't know officially it's all kind of weird uh you know kind of muddy stuff but they're that's how coalitions and power blocks work in politics yeah. they are <laughs> united behind a common interest yeah so sandra uh, uh sandra lee fewer and gordon marr uh, are part of the Prague coalition they are i would say kind much much closer to what i recognize as like a lydia coup type of like just a chud nimby you know, they yeah. are you. You campaign in the West Side, so uh, realtors are realtor adjacent homeowners, like yeah. the same kind of like bird brain statements. But they stand for a political set of opinions, and they stand strongly with their base. As as Dennis Richards, uh, f- a famous uh, Prague 
uh, Prague uh, commissioner for planning who comes down to Palo Alto and sits next to Lydia Coons who's in curse like a normal person. Uh, mm-hmm. As he said, let's campaign on the West Side with Mary McNamara, tenant activist on the West Side, who is a former Marin County homeowner NIMBY who protested the George Lucas uh, like homelessness shelters. Let me swirl around that description, that bio. Yeah. She's great. I wish I could follow her, but she's one of the people who's blocked me on, on Twitter. Hell yeah. Uh, she's very good, though. Uh, but she was working with Dennis Richards to say, how do you campaign on the West Side? You need to campaign on more police, uh, more ambulance, and just, you know, good like a scaremongering campaign. Yeah. And and that's the thing. It's like the the West are just just kind of right wing. Yeah. yeah. Relatively right wing chuds. They're like just yeah, they're just woke enough to not be screaming about MS thirteen and you know, maybe a lot of them might be immigrants or children of immigrants themselves, but that does not stop you from being a from being right wing pro police, et cetera. Like very clear when you're talking about material interests. So here it reveals is, itself on local levels very quickly. So here is the big question on why does the left wing in SF never deal with the exclusionary zoning of the west side of SF? I'd say there are two reasons. One is you have the political interests which are protecting their own material interests mm-hmm. with uh, the West Side homeowners, with the uh, with the kind of uh, Aaron Peskin kind of mm-hmm. coalition. I would say the other reason is what ideology do they use to kind of keep this in place? It is the Calvin Welch. All upzoning is regressive upzoning, no matter if it's uh, addressing exclusionary stuff. And they fuse this together, have the idea that everyone is unstable, even though that... SF is relatively an affluent city. Yeah, and like taking taking pot shots at woke culture is very 2015 and very cheap, um, but it is a shield for the interests of capital very often. And yeah. just look at this. Look at this. Just look at it. And like you look at, there are so many people working in SF who are commuting from like Contra Costa County, mm-hmm. you know, and they're coming in. And they have no chance of being represented. Yes. And the Homeowner, truth, the renter, interest, this and this, never. They have no chance of being represented in San Francisco. So I choose not to really fight about SF stuff, but is SF largely an exclusionary community? Look at oh, certainly yeah. most of these districts out in the Sunset, Richmond, Alamo Square, you know, kind of areas. And these are all exclusionary areas and anti status quo areas. Even if you're working class, even if you're scraping by, would you say, oh, yeah, you want 100,000 more people, like everyone who commutes, you want them to be, you know, competing for the same thing down your block? They would take a look materially at what they see the possibilities of the world in front of them to be. And they would say, no, I don't want that. So I have some, like, what I hope is I don't really. I have never gotten excited about London Breed and all these different because I feel like this is it is very unlikely something truly bold a left wing housing vision will come out of kind of a, a you know a, a kind of chamber of commercey kind yeah. of coalition. Well, like I, London Breed is an unexcited it's like a not really very exciting market urbanist kind of tepid like she doesn't have great opinions she'll stick her foot in her mouth like with um the last election with uh i think it was prop c that she oh yeah was against like there was no reason for you to do that like and that's the thing too it's like i think like i have i think scott wiener's done amazing stuff at the state level but he has also done a bunch of bad stuff because i think he's not really a left-wing guy i think he is kind of a weird centrist guy who has some really good stuff on housing so i, I yeah. take the good stuff but mm-hmm. i want a like left matt iglesias and house- he'll have individual tweets that are right about some housing policies and things to do and problems to point out but like it doesn't mean he's like pleasant or likable or like in, or inspiring or yeah. even left-wing like 
Oh, no, certainly not. I mean, these are all... Dean Presting is way more inspiring as a speaker and as a personality, way more left-wing in his record, way more, like, far to the left in terms of the opinions he espouses, like, ostensibly being anti-landlord and stuff. But the big question of this District 5 San Francisco supervisor's race is, will the moderate, uh, breedite, uh, in, in, you know, Yimby-ish candidate in Valley Brown win or will the tenants union tenants together dsa um sort of yeah left of left of moderate uh dean preston win um and if each and if one of them wins or the other wins what will it mean for the production of housing for the political balance in san francisco and beyond if preston wins will he be an an obstructor to london breed or will he work together will he try to export an anti-homeowner and anti-landlord ideology to san francisco and beyond or will he limit himself to prog talking points and ally with the progs to not change the status quo these are the big questions they're so much more exciting than the election and we won't know until they're done so here is something that is a story that i think speaks a lot to why i think the progs really annoy me. Uh, this has happened like five, uh, four years ago or something, maybe maybe more recent. But uh, there was a state bill that was just starting to do some streamlining. It was mm-hmm. largely targeting uh, streamlining in places like the Peninsula Cities. Uh, Aaron Peskin was upset that it actually addressed uh, some areas of SF because I think it was at maybe a lower level and retweaked the numbers in order to get SF off the hook in the matter of doing this and shipped it back to, like, to Sacramento saying, please listen to SF and our important stuff because we... So who ended, who ended up on being on the hook? Was it like... They took Palo Alto off the hook. They took Cupertino off the hook. Shocking. And who ended up being on the hook? Was it like middle-class homeowners in like Oakland and Daly City? I don't think... Piedmont? Like, sure any, who was it? I'm not sure anybody was on the hook. Maybe maybe like an Atherton or something. Yeah. I don't know. This is what political power does. This lets you, you know, talk a big game, get elected, be seen supporting certain things, and quietly use your influence behind the scenes to take yourself off the hook and to excuse yourself from change and to quietly, without ideological protest, because people don't look at these things, they look at certain performative things, certain things on the surface, and don't look at where the actual interests lie or at the record of something like this, where it's quite clear what they stand for. Yeah, and I think the thing is, who like my, my top of list thing is deal with Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. And I and what is making my life harder is the SF Prague coalition and the Prague mindset are actively protecting Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. And that is you're on my turf and you you have actually uh, you know struck some blood. I am not OK with you protecting Palo Alto when you have someone like this is a flashback to the last election who ran uh, for uh, what was it? Uh, District six, was it? Uh, but uh, Tony Kelly. Actively worked with Livable California. He was in meetings, sitting next to uh, Marin County Stephen Nessel with Lydia Koo, with everyone's faves. They're sitting in a mm-hmm. police office in like Oakland, and like that's where they all meet because they're all right wingers. Hell yeah, yeah. It's it's clear. But he it's was so D- clear. He was the DSA endorsed candidate because he was, I think, saying, "Oh, we shouldn't actually build in Treasure Island because there's radioactive." You know, radioactive, uh, you know, traces there. This is a bad yeah, place. And also, not you're, wrong. You're absolutely right. But you, if you're not building there, you need to build yes the other places. Not wrong. Ah, it's just and it's just, it's just so. It's like if you are 
it's so weird that like the the Palo Alto ghouls will say you're part of our gang if you're one of these, you know, you know, the left wing idea of being anti-development. And this is not a coherent coalition and it's untenable. And for the left to have any real hope at a positive housing plan, which we'll get to, uh, Mm -hmm. needs to say if what we're doing makes the Palo Alto types confuse us with one of them, we must be doing it wrong. And I think no one is really having that kind of, of thoughtfulness. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the problem with the view of the tenants and DSA um, type left of center people is that they don't have a coherent view for the future that builds housing that takes power away from landlords that protects tenants um that can be executed they don't have they don't have a view of that it's just it's not existent in their minds so I'll say this okay dean preston he has he has i think some very good ideas he mm-hmm. wants to have free uh, muni i think largely yeah. i think largely uh, you should charge uh, marginal cost at all times that means zero most of the time mm-hmm. maybe a peak you charge it to kind of uh, you know, push yeah. around allocation. Make uni free, make parking costs twice as much. Those are good policies. Yeah, you can policy. do that as a great supervisor. Policies. Yes. Uh, Dean Preston, stellar record on working for actual tenant protections. Yes. I would say a lot of people, and I'd say like kind of- Which is extremely left-wing, extremely left of center. You will never catch a prog in court defending a tenant. Never. Yeah, and I think a lot of people could say like, oh, I'm a prog. I'm for protecting tenants, but they don't really fight for it. Dean Preston huh. is a guy who actually worked to fight for stuff with his org, Tents Together. Uh, he worked for, for funding and, and, and getting stuff like right to counsel uh, and uh, in Measure F a, f- a few years ago. And, you know, this is this is huge stuff. And I think his I, and like his ideology and thought has gone directly from his um, experience in this role as as protecting tenants in court. Uh, he has built a political following around this with DSA. They are very dedicated to him. They call me all the time. DSA people call me. Preston people call me. And I'm like, I signed up under duress. I like DSA, et cetera, but I don't really like Preston and I don't live in your district. I'm <laughs> yeah. very sorry. Yeah. So, I mean, that's all the stuff I think is good. He came like he was a tenant lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say a bit incoherent that he remains, uh, you know, a homeowner as, as a tenant advocate. I think you should actually put your money where your mouth is and be a tenant if you're tenant. What's but- the thing? Like if you are a... Um, if you're a wealthy lawyer, an upper middle class profession, if you're a homeowner and you dedicate your life instead of, you know, doubling your salary working for a corporate firm, defending tenants, uh, in that sense, you are a class trader and you are fighting for the interests of those with less than you against those with more. Um, but you need like to if you are a supervisor, not just, you know, an individual lawyer, if you're a supervisor and you want to expand the scope of how you are going to fight a class war and how you are going to fight against you know against your class interest continue your class traitortude to achieve this greater goal it's got to be bigger than just fighting the status quo yes and i think that is the thing when you're actively being just dragged down fighting to keep what you have it's not really a left vision. It is yeah. the is a starting point. And what do you do to vision beyond it? And I think I think for all the things that I think are that Dean are great. Okay, here's one more thing I want to bring up. Uh, one of the previous elections, uh, Matt Haney uh, is kind of now in the in the Prague wing of stuff. I would say he is not a Peskin type. He is someone who actually has like he is at least willing to entertain more uh, kind of coherent 
vision for how things should change. He's been like active in working with public lands, uh, public housing. This is actual change kind of stuff. I don't see him as cynically maintaining the status quo in the same kind of way. And here's the question. Will and like that is kind of like if you have the if the language of the progs that kind of vibe and unite Preston with Peskin, if that language extended to practice and power, yeah, that seems like you'd get this this Haneyism where you're quietly and you know not bombastically working to expand public power because Preston is very bombastic. He's very loud and you know insulting and and radically uses radical language and oh take it to the run these landlords out of town. But doesn't actually have the action or doesn't have the vision of like, oh, you know, calmly and coherently expand public power and make that your ideology and blah, 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 build a coalition. Yeah, and that's so much. like it's, it's what name you give yourself. If it's like, oh, I'm running as the DSA candidate, I'm a socialist. But you actually have to be doing socialist stuff. You can't just say you're yeah. a socialist. So uh, what are things that I feel are alarming? I just pulled up this, this tweet because I'd say I, I would say I want people to be able to grow, but this is the single biggest Ooh. red flag I've Ooh, ever seen in my life. Another beautiful phrase coming up on there. Yeah. I, I read it and I love it, but just read it out loud. I want to uh, I want to uh, hear it again. January 2018 at Haight-Ashbury Neighborhood Council meeting, a great presentation by housing gurus Peter Cohen and Calvin Welch. Mm. Yeah, so <sighs> I, that's a 20 that's like a that's like a 20 year fine aged. I just don't it's just so disappointing. I don't feel anybody who is intelligent should be able to fall for the Calvin Welch, Peter Cohen, choo-choo kind of mindset, which I would say is a conservative mindset. Explain what choo-choo is to the... Choo-choo is the uh, CCHO. I just, it's choo-choo. It's just their org. It's Calvin Welch been running for a while. Peter Cohen is their paid staffer uh, who always, always a joy to California with. housing, see something. Yeah. And as I said before, Welch, homeowner for 40 years, uh, Cal, uh, landlordism. Yeah, Peter, Peter Cohen. Uh, he is he has actually been part of a TIC to to buy out uh, rental units to to own. So and a lot again, these, speaking of tenancies in common, buying out renters, this cuts across like your 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 asserted values and your you know your things that you'll discourse on. All of these people, and like that was because this was a recent controversy. Is that Valley Brown, the mod candidate, um, evicted people twenty five years ago? to create a tenancy in common. And who knows what's actually going on? It's shrouded in all this stuff that, you know, could very well be hiding greed and awful stuff. It's like, oh, well, uh, we, the building, it just really needed renovations and we couldn't do it with the tenants in and they, they, the tenants weren't being reasonable. So we Ellis acted them. Like, Preston, like, if you, like, <sighs> this is something that all of these people will do across all of these boundaries they will be landlords. They will do landlord stuff. Yeah. How they posture themselves is uh, completely separate from this. And it, what they will propose as solutions to the housing crisis will also be very different. I'll just say this. I'll go on the record. What Valley Brown did, I'd say, is bad. Being a homeowner is unacceptable. <laughs> and I would say across the board, I think every homeowner should be considered disqualified for office. Uh, I will say this. It's just so... It's- like, if you are a landlord, this is your job. Like, you will have to do this eventually. Yeah. If not, you know, every day harassing your tenants for, for this or that or another thing. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people say, like, oh, this doesn't matter. I think it does matter, but you need to apply it consistently. Sandra Lee Fewer, this is, this is what happened to her. I think this happened maybe a couple decades ago. Uh, she owned an extra rental property, uh, and uh, they actually offered to buy it out. She got a higher all-cash offer 
took the all-cash offer, evicted everybody, and used it to uh, buy a second home in uh, San Rafael. Mwah. Beautiful. Yeah. You see yeah. it. We, we love to see it. But she is a To good- be a woke landlord or to be a woke homeowner, you have to lose money as compared to the market. Yeah. It's, it's directly fighting the market, yeah. fighting your own interests. Like, if we were talking about, earlier we were talking about this, if Dean Preston wants to be a woke homeowner, uh, he should create a tenancy in common with seven randos and take a huge hit financially and humble himself for living with people who are you know, below his means, et cetera. That would be being a woke homeowner. That's would be losing money, yeah. giving away yeah. as compared to what you could get on the market and then forcing people out and destroying their, their life based on that. That's the only way to be a woke landlord is to give up power. Yeah, I, mean, I just, I There's just, no woke dictators. <laughs> yeah, I, I, there was a there was a fun thing that uh, uh, hilarious comic uh, Nato Green uh, wrote like uh, something like eight years ago when he was campaigning for Peskin, saying like, you know, should you vote for Peskin? And it said like, well, what if I'm a landlord? It's like that's okay. I'm a landlord too. You know, uh, I Nato Green am a landlord, and I think uh, I think it's fine because I'm a fair landlord. And that's the thing. You should not be a fair landlord. There is no good rationale for being a landlord. There's no good rationale for being a landowner in my book. But, like, let's start baby steps. We should get landlords out of politics. That's my personal belief. And this is these are, like, we're coming back to the idea of constructed arguments. We fight, like, the housing discourse is a fight over several blocks in the mission as a purposeful distraction from the west side and from the peninsula. Yes. That is purposely constructed, purposely created, and we drive ourselves crazy fighting a false argument. So let's talk about the argument. And it's about develop and it's about big developers and this and that versus landlords. That it is it is directed to one instead of the other by a mostly conscious, but you know, possibly also unconscious effort by the people who hold the power to just try to see the argument fought against someone else that's not them. Should we upzone the West Side? What are responses to this? I'll say, here's, I'll, I'll maybe give a first uh, a first statement. Uh, here's argument four, which is, you should upzone the West Side insofar as uh, this will take pressure off the fact that developers are only building in the Mission, South South of Market, uh, Hunter's Point, and so on, and they're not because so much as land is off duty. So, uh, building in uh, the Sunset in the West Side in general will put more pressure to the West, where owner occupiers can handle it. Uh, when you allow, yeah, just well, like building in North Berkeley will take pressure off of South Berkeley. Yes, when you when you build in the West Side. You will actually be replacing owner occupiers with renters. Mm-hmm. This will create more voters who will vote for renter interests. Mm-hmm. Material analysis would indicate this would be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Exclusionary zoning the West Side in general is just not a good thing when you have million dollar houses. It's gross. I'd say just by itself. Yes. When you million dollar houses, get rid of R one zoning. We're three million dollar houses. Yes, goodness yes. gracious, we're maybe on million dollar houses. Yeah, that's that's a long time ago. I would say one more thing is the west side is built on solid rock. Uh, the uh, east side of San Francisco is a bunch of fill that, that mm-hmm. could very easily sweep away. We should be building in the west side because it's yeah. safer. And talk about constructed arguments by people with bad faith. Oh, we can't build in Soma, we can't build in, you know, like, or Bayshore down in Mountain View. We can't build in Treasure Island because it's bad land. Oh, it's, 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 it's radioactive. It's radioactive. Yeah. Oh, it's going to slip. How you? So everyone loves to, everyone learned about liquefaction when they were buying their house and they keep trotting that out. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's a constructed because it, the argument never moves to, 
I agree with you that we need to build more housing and it should go on better land. It never does because these people do not want to build because more. Because Sandra Lee Fewer, Gordon Moore, Mary McNamara, all these West Side people just actually fight against it. Jane Kim, mm-hmm. running for mayor, ran on a, we don't want five-story buildings. She ran for it on the West Side in the sunset. I think anybody could say a cynical move to get votes. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Like She ran as the left-wing candidate. I would, I mean, it's like if it was a left wing candidate who went into a racist area and said, like, we're going to stop blacks from moving into your area. It's like, no, that's unacceptable. If you're left, you can't do blood and soil brown shirt stuff. You know, you have to actually say leftist stuff. So it's and just- if you're, if you call yourself a socialist and have dedicated yourself to, you know, very left of center activities like defending tenants like Preston has. Yeah. Dean Preston has committed himself to many left-wing activities, but you have to expand your definition of that and expand who you want to take this, because he's got lots of political rancor, but he's taking it to an abstract concept, and he's not taking it to like forces and people within the city that he can bring people together around. Upzoning the west side would be a policy that would help fix things, but building the ideological project that leads to uh, upzoning of the west side is delicate and difficult and Preston could play a big part in building that or he could ignore it and you know yell about Uber and stuff like that that he has that that are just completely meaningless to his job as supervisor. So so were you in person when he was asked should you upset on the west side? No I was not there in person but I I have both times I have seen Preston speak in person he has dismissed upzoning dismissed density explicitly as a means to try to address the affordability crisis. Which I'll say is, okay, now let me be charitable. Anti-density, anti-upzoning. You could say, well, upzoning is, you know, it's not nearly radical enough. We need to leapfrog this and do something far, far more radical. You need to do land reform. Mm -hmm. You need to actually take land away from the landowners on the west side, and instead of letting them you know, make some money by, you know, doing this or even tax them as they do. You should just basically tax away their land, you know, buy it up. The city should get a lot of land, build a lot of public housing. Yeah. This is all it says. Look at homelessness uh, shelters on the west side. There there ain't any. No, none. Yes. And like, the thing and is- if you're not speaking about um, solving these problems in terms of taking it to the homeowners as established interests, if you're, you know, if you're Valley Brown, maybe you don't really believe that. So you you talk about it earnestly in terms of, you know, in this market urbanism, like, oh, earnest, like, oh, we got to all do our part, even if it's just for like seven units of affordable housing or whatever. But if you're a socialist and you're talking about making radical change, if you're not trying to take it to the landlords to build um, to build uh, homeless support services and shelters, when they oppose you, how are you going to handle it? Will you be seeing clearly? Will you be mobilizing your followers to fight this clearly on their terms? Or will you be caught up in their constructions and their and their BS? Yes, I mean, I think everybody has to have a mental map of who they're for and who they're against. And I would say, I mean, the ideology that I tend to use will put you know, the landowners as something to be wary of and oppose. And this includes everything from developers to homeowners to landlords. And I'd say, honestly, I think this has been enormously useful. Uh, I would say a lot of people are using, I would say, very shabby ideology that says developers are the only bad people. Landlords need to be you know, regulated some small amount. They're, they can exist. They need to be fair landlords. <laughs> yes. Which is like, how is that not That'd more be trust to yes. do there. Yes. Yeah, it's nuts. And 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 like, and I think when you have that mental model, what do you do to change stuff? It's like, well, you need to be 
harder on developers. You need to like you need to like actually stop developers entirely. And then if you if you look at the few things that Pe- that um, Preston says that he wants to do short term to help the housing crisis, what he gives as crystal clear things that you know are in the frame of what everyone else is talking about. He is for greater impact fees. He is for greater inclusionary percentage up to th- ludicrous things like 30 or 50 percent he is for uh increase main- maintenance and increase of rent control uh, with this this mantra of like take it to developers take it to developers these are things that will make the market produce less housing if you want to break out of the market as the production of housing you have to say i will do this yes and i will also y- use the benefit like this is an anti-growth thing you need to use the tax, like expand your tax base, plow that back into public investment. That should, that's part of any social democratic platform. Yeah. A socialist would take that and get even more radical, but Preston has not approached implementing that. I mean, I would call this, it's kind of, I think, maybe meanly, but I think accurately, like left neoliberalism, which is an IZ fee, uh, you know, uh, you know inclusive uh, inclusionary zoning, uh, is when you require new developments to have a certain amount of affordable units. This is something, I would call this, inherently neoliberal it's kind of you're using the market things to build up a little bit of what you want perhaps to have you can say you did something uh it could be like oh is it 15 percent, 20 percent you know it should be 25 percent and i think this is like you're working within within the neoliberal framework where do you choose the number and if you come in and say like i think it should be 40 percent like does this make you more left because i would say what you do is you take this weird neoliberal gadget that allows you to get some free, uh, you know, free subsidized housing uh, due to, uh, you know, cross subsidization in, in, in market forces. And you'd crank it up to 40 percent where now the whole thing stops working. No one's going to build at 40 percent. Let's say, like, if, even if 40 percent is doable, let's say you make it 80 percent. It's like uh, now I'm really leftist. 80 percent. The truth is nobody will build at 80 percent. And what will you actually get? is the status quo. So what have you done? You, within the neoliberal framework, made it seem more left while you do something which I think is clearly not a real left intervention, which would be, how about if we want to create social housing, you acquire land and build social housing? Yes. <laughs> it's like, um, it's like really, if someone is really, claims to be really, really left of center and they see the biggest problem around employment and uh, gender and race equity that there are not enough tech jobs for non-whites and non-males. Yes, yes. Like, and your solution is to, like, say, sorry, freeze hiring at Google except for people that are going to, you know, bump up the things until you have equity, not uh, distribute money to the people who are poor and marginalized, give them power and money directly. You're working within the neoliberal frame, which yeah. is you must have a well-paying job within the market to succeed. You are buying into that. Yes, yes, and I, I think... It is I again. Think, this is this is Warren versus Sanders. Yeah, this is Warren versus what do you, this is Warren versus Sanders. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I think you'd say that she might have you know actually like it's like banking reform things that could make a you know a big difference. Yes, but you know what does you it, can work? She, they can work yeah. together. Yeah, Warren, if you put her in a position of power to execute this narrow thing, this narrow frame of things, like going back and watching her, her take it to the bankers and Senate hearings, wonderful expand her power and expand her ability to do these good things. Preston, you see his record in defending tenants and in vociferously um, you know, acting out his this good vision of things that can happen in court, fighting evictions. Fighting evictions is good. Make Preston some kind of district attorney or something like that to yeah. be a top lawyer in turn and that can fight 
the fight that he's used to fighting and fight it well and fight it with expanded power. But as a supervisor, he's got this really narrow view of, of practicality and action that he's experienced with and this really wide strategic view of what must be done, but no way of bridging the gap in implementation. And I think you could say one of two things. I mean, one of many things. One you could say is, oh, this is obviously cynical. He wants to protect homeowners and keep everything the same. I don't even think that's true. I really don't. You, uh, you could say he lacks imagination. I think that is to a large extent true. He like asks, like, should we build social housing? He's like, yeehaw, let's go for it. You he know? says it. Like 10,000 units of social housing. I'm like, yeah, I want which, that too. Which great. I'll say this. You need to do land acquisition to do that. Yes. Or you need to build on the public lands you have, which we're going to get into in a bit, because that's been all huge yes. mess. Or with these, you know, big developers that are just have billions of dollars of 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 money that are just they're just edging at the prospect of buying up a big block of, you know, maybe unused or underutilized land and building apartments there. Tax them. Use that money to expand public power. Yes. Tax them. But the main thread behind that is you. To do a real left vision for this, you need to take away from some who have stuff mm-hmm. and give it to others who don't have stuff. And nobody, like, yeah, in Princeton the kind of- he's developed, like, a, a development company, you know, outside of California that doesn't own any property in the city. He sees them as the stuff havers. He yeah. doesn't see the people who own millions of dollars in property at the, in the city as stuff havers, let, landlords let, as stuff havers. Let's say, you have a par- let's say you have a parking lot, and a developer comes in, grabs the parking lot- now they have stuff, and what should you do about it? Should you actually like take their stuff? It's like, no, you should make sure they can't build on it. <laughs> yes. Like, that's the thing you should be doing. It's like, no, actually, I mean, it's the having the stuff that's bad. You need yes. to actually do stuff at the stuff. The building is not the problem. And if they come in, they buy an apartment building, evict everybody, that's the worst kind of grabbing stuff and making them do it. Mm-hmm. What you need to do is you know, have the people of the city, including the landless renters, actually have the stuff people who commute in they should have the stuff you know yeah we need to redistribute the stuff and not just say the neoliberal mindset of saying we need to stop development on the margins through higher regulation of how much impact fees there's like this is like you need no that's <laughs> this is not going to create outcomes which give stuff to people you yeah know? <laughs> and you know for as boring an incrementalist as brown is like moving towards building more homeless facilities that is giving stuff to people that is giving them a place they can go the less means tested the better um things like that she is for that upzoning the west side is if if you are for that you are you know you not directly and you may not realize it or it may not be coherent certainly if you don't talk about it as such but you are against like you are against um homeowner owner occupier power and you are for moving towards you you are pro that is that is a pro tenant thing not 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 very directly yeah and you can't make an easy case about it and people can yell at you for all these other things but that's a pro tenant move I mean I so w- do you think you would convince me to say that I should be you know I just feel like I can't get excited Vermont because it won't actually be the left vision of what it is I just think I hold the left to a higher standard because they need to actually be doing. Mm-hmm. things that are leftist and like it's yeah. Kind of, yeah so i just feel that like i don't want to say like the vision of the future is more people like breed and and and, and brown doing stuff like ups and lifts. like that's that's the least exciting like kind of but it actually at least is action but when i see cynical people i think hijacking the left for just completely insipid status quo preserving goals or like otherwise good but out of their depth Yes. Misguided people like Preston as supervisor. 
allying or internalizing or, you know, falsely confronting um, far-left ideology and ideas around housing that come from this this pescanist, welchist, prog standpoint and not really even realizing it. Yeah. But here's the thing that's nice is um, I'd say that the kind of Welch-style prog is increasingly a fossil insofar as Bernie Sanders is now running on, I think, an, an actually, you know, an actually exciting, bold program of let's fund public housing. Let's, you know, break all the things that stop public housing, such as rules. Like We make public housing illegal in California unless it's voted on. Or exclusionary zoning stops it from being built where you want to build it a lot of the times. He actually will target all of these things and have a coherent program for mm-hmm. real change. And if you are— and he has movement and he has ideology behind his yes. convictions, not just, you know, hot air and not— and like he he has movement and conviction behind these things coming I, I from the federal level could assist with the state because yeah. like a, another like another just boring and you know depressing or or disinteresting fact about this supervisor race is these you know Preston maybe have exciting ideas maybe a little misguided or whatever Valley might be boring but Valley is working sort of within the constraints of what a supervisor can want. Preston is trying to get things going that are outside of the power that a supervisor has. Yeah. Like, you don't really have the power to do much good as a supervisor. Can we expand that? Should we? Et cetera. Those are more exciting questions, but neither of them are really addressing that. And neither of them are really addressing building a coalition outside San Francisco, say, like, in Sacramento, to take on the real problems, regional yes. problems, Palo Alto, the big problems outside of the city. Well, I mean, and, and Preston's org, uh, Tenants Together... You know, you could say that have they done a lot to in Sacramento, like in the Ellis Act, overturn Costa Hawkins, you know, do all these different things that would actually help tenants. It's like, no, because there is not a coherent, powerful statewide tenant organ like structure. Partly yeah. is because everyone's fighting each other because everyone has just dumb ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think we just actually say, like, what if there is a coalition that's gonna say that, oh, exclusionary zoning is bad, tenant protections are good. Uh, we're we're getting pretty close to there. It's just pretty sad that, uh, like 1482, which helped the uh, you know helped the peninsula by actually putting in uh, you know not strong enough, but you know rent caps for some time program was fought for hard by CAMB and was not fought for at all by uh, Tens Together. Yeah, that's disappointing. Mm-hmm. And the cost of Hawkins repeal was. You know, well, there's like the partial repeal that was on the ballot last year, and it was flawed, and it wasn't messaged well, and DSA fought tooth and nail for it, and YIMBY were eh, ignored it. Chose, I think they chose not to endorse. And like the energies of these groups of, I would, I would see YIMBY and DSA united. Right now, I see YIMBY sort of on their own, allied, or like you know, or occasionally increasingly allied with the like boring Chamber of Commerce Democrats. Like yeah. Breed will be elected handily. Like if you make the scope wide enough, that ideology is popular. And I hate but if too. you if you if you drill down, like if you drill down locally very tightly, you get the progs. You get the progs allying with the tenant socialists and, and uh, around this this around this weird crap instead of organizing around what's good because you have to zoom out to do it. And it pushes people into the other camp as well. And this is something I think disappointing. There's like a mailer about oh look at Dean Preston. He's actually kind of like a. A you know big loser and NIMBY with affordable divisadero div- and look at him. It's actually this gross logo. It's like all these Victorians being squeezed out by big apartment builders. It's like no, the Victorians are the problem. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, but like it's like this mailer saying, like, oh look at all these things he did are bad. It's like oh this is actually you know it's pretty good points. These are true and this, this actually I mean, does suck. That makes sense. But this this yeah, was ahead. paid for 
by the CA realtors, which is like, no, mm. I don't want them to be like they are the like you don't want them as your allies because they're not going to be part of a good thing. They are the bad people. <laughs> yes, we just need to actually have, you know, a left candidate that can't be derided as being yeah. uh, in in the hands of the NIMBY class. Well, and a positive vision has everything to do with it because, like you said, these aesthetic concerns, the logo of, you know, beautiful, cute Victorians squeezed out by soulless, disgusting, yuppie condos, uh, that's gross. I find it to be gross whenever I see it on the city. Uh, I think it is gross. It is offensive to me because the new buildings are ugly. And they are clearly hostile and clearly not for me or anyone else I would like to hang out with. Just like when I see it in Soma with like a warehouse building or, you know, a manufacturing building or an artist warehouse or whatever, uh, you just leveled and turned into like disgusting yuppie housing or in in, in, um, Jack London Square, et cetera. But here's here's an analogy. Tell me if this is stupid. Uh, it's kind of the difference between, let's say you are, you know, walking into a city for the first time and like, just like you're, you're visiting, it's like, you know, people say, oh, hi, how you doing? As opposed to, let's say the city's hostile to you, you have to come in, you have to paratroop in wearing armor. <laughs> and that's the thing. We are so hostile to our, to our like making anything yeah. that to put them in, they have to be kind of self-contained, mm-hmm. like armored units of housing. And like, it's just like, they're gross and bad, yeah. largely because we create a system that makes it that way. Well, and if you, exactly. If you really want to talk about what is bad about big developers and the buildings that they produce, it, it there is a lot of bad stuff. And it is all, it is all there for reasons. They all have parking built in because that is very favorable for financing. Banks want that. And often it is required, all this parking. And they can you know, make their rents higher and make even more money on account of that. And they could perhaps make more money if they built the buildings taller and put more units in. But if they're limited by height, if they're limited by FIR, they put a lot of parking there to you know, pork it up and make their bankers happy, etc. That is d- a direct consequence of how we build this housing. That's what's bad about big developers. And it's what's also bad about how we try to oppose them. We try to oppose these big, awful buildings and gentrification and stuff by putting in housing regulations. And it makes it so that these big companies are the only ones who can squeeze past it by building disgusting buildings that are incoherent, that have no aesthetics, that have no soul, because they have to, they dutifully comply with these rules that were designed to make nothing buildable. Yeah, they, they go through the gauntlet, so you get this yes. incredibly hardened thing at the end. Uh, so yeah. what, what are better visions? One better vision would be like, you allow smaller entrants, you allow the kind of mom and pop developer to create their things, or you could say that you need big, but in the public interest. And you can do this through, I'd say, regulation and processes that clearly are not working. Or direct ownership. Or you could have public developers, yes. Mm-hmm. And like, look at a place like Singapore, HDB. That's pretty cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And any vision of this, I think, right now, the, the aesthetic sentimentality and resistance to change is only exploited by the fascists, as they often are the first to do. They love to sentimentally exploit the past and everyone's resistance to change around it. Like with, like with the, 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 the Victorians being crowded out by gross apartment buildings, you know, chief among it. Um, if the left cannot adopt um, the aesthetic and subjective things that make San Francisco beautiful and a good place to live because beautiful looking buildings that are beautiful to be in are also very, very good. And if they can't adopt that and find a way to reconcile um, what we want for the outcomes of buildings that are safe to live in and are equitable and that build a good neighborhood and that are owned, you know, that are owned by the, the tenants or or held or held closely by them, but also our beautiful buildings and are small and are welcoming on the local level and are flexible and are are built to, 
you know, grow a little bit, but match the neighborhood and and inspire additional development next to it that would make a better neighborhood. The, that's a big vision, and the left does not have that because they don't want growth. They don't yeah. want density. You need to want that to be for that, um, but you also need to want to change the rules in a big way. The mods want growth, but they don't like changing rules. They, they, they really like the rules. I think they just need to be tweaked a little bit, like additional yeah, height yeah. limits and stuff. They wouldn't have as broad of a vision or wouldn't want to make a San Francisco really mess with the building code to let you build to build a new Victorian. Yeah. No, and I think I, there, is, there is cases of left positive visions for housing. One thing I talked about on the show... Uh, outside uh, of San Francisco, yeah, California, outside, United yeah, States. Necessarily, yeah, necessarily. Uh, the, the People's Policy Project paper on social housing... Uh, had a very interesting vision of one, you got to build a lot of social housing. Uh, two is what do you do? It, it kind of punted and saying like, well, you, you got to utilize the public land you already have. Yeah, land land acquisition. Precious, extremely precious. Ex- and yeah. a war has been fought on public land and public ownership by the neoliberals over the last forty years. I would love to see you know San Francisco's acreage and you know and the value of what the remaining acreage just shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink since the yeah. 70s i would love to see that but they do still own a lot and they have to use it well so and he, building a t- t- two story apartment building is not using it well yeah and that's a question so let's say you have your precious land and it's you know x acres and you want to build on it what do you do do you go out and do you go to your piggy bank in the city find the public housing funds, which is not going to be big unless it's funded at the federal level, and do you build like as much as you can? Like you build, oh, here's a bunch of you know one-story stuff because that's all we can afford. Or do you try to build thousands and thousands of units? I would rather see thousands and thousands of units. The PPP paper says one good way to do it is cross-subsidization. Mm-hmm. You, you, the city would actually you know rent some units at market rate costs, and they would cross-subsidize the units which need to be at lower cost. Yes, and they don't. The whole entire system doesn't have to make a profit, but bringing in revenue and keeping the city solvent and giving you strong uh, amounts of power and money that are positive and from growth and from public ownership and are not just like these taxes that nip at the heels of the people who really have stuff. Then you will have money. You will have power. You can buy more land. You can finance your own projects. You can get more favorable fi- financial financing terms, etc. Yeah. It's about growing public power. If they're safe, they're a republic bank for construction. And how do that you would judge, be another thing. How do you judge the success of a program like this? What would you call a successful social housing program? Stably housed people, lo- lowering, the, lowering the cost of living directly could be a good measure. Yeah. Reducing commute hours. Mm. Um, yeah, re- reducing the frequency that a family might have to move around, even if they're, if they're, if they're you know, being forced out of the city or if they're forced to go to different neighborhoods, etc., um, Two things are connected: yes. lowering homeless rates and lowering the queue of getting into affordable mm-hmm. housing. Those are very, and I think they both need to be brought down to yes. nearly zero. Yes, and any and a part of this plan, a thing that could stand subsidization could be construction of new SROs. Of course, a plan for how to solve um, homelessness and how to properly rehabilitate people who are homeless and. Um, Either protect them, to just protect them from the elements, certainly at the base, but like, and again, it would be neoliberal to say that, you know, you they must be on the path back to work and we have to means test it. I don't stand by that. Just get them a place that they can afford, you know, with whatever money, doing whatever work or not working, the city could own those. Yeah. If you get, getting people off the street yeah. could be a very, very useful metric. There's no way to get all these people off the streets without killing them. 
that does not mean you're expending lots of effort on shelters and rehabilitation and navigation and stuff. Again, uh, a fascist would get the homeless off the streets by killing which them. Is, which is what our current presidential administration would yes. like to do. It's eliminationist. Yes, exactly. And like th- the neolibs don't want you to pay attention to the fact that there are homeless people on the street because then they would have to explain why their system has failed to house them. Uh, right, Right-wingers say kill them. Left-wingers don't have a bold enough vision to say no we have to build a lot of shelters to house them all and some of them are going to go in your neighborhood yes and i wouldn't assume bad faith but i think it's we talk about okay what would a good vision be about solving these problems instead of this let's say you don't do that and you say my main goal is to make sure you don't build uh market rate units because that would be offensive to me that you're building market rate units even if it's cross-subsidizing other units and this is what's happening at the balboa reservoir is a lot of people are concerned trolling saying no we want to we want to house uh as many people as possible uh who are subsidized and you don't want to build market rate units it's not looking at the actual system to solve the problems it is saying uh if you build luxury units even if it's a public agency to pay for stuff these are all and these are all constructions this, this is concern trolling from people who don't actually want to fix the problem yes exactly so it annoying. is it's constructed arguments is people misunderstanding it's people even people who might be well-meaning um missing the broader vision missing it completely feeling completely unattached from it fear of change just hoping that the status quo maintains is as the biggest thing you could possibly hope for in politics yeah and that's all wrong i just think yeah we need a ground-up visioning of what we want. I'm repeating myself here, but just I just think Dean Preston, great on tenant stuff. I think you know he's, he has I think good instinct. In a lot of cases, do the left thing. But if you're not thoughtful, what you think seems like the left thing is actually just a dumb thing to do that actually will make things worse. Yeah, and you have to zoom out if your role is getting broader, like. The board of supervisors is not the courtroom where he has done good and with a certain attitude and a certain mindset and a certain set of priorities. It's yeah. not the courtroom defending a tenant. It is much broader. Yeah. What is the goal there? The goal there is help every tenant. It's like, great. That's that's a solvable problem. And Valley Brown, what she says, uh, I'm pretty sure I, I am attributing this to her. I don't want to misattribute, but you know, what she said is the thing that like one of the things that made Yimbyism itself click with all its problems click to me at first is we want to build a city where we do not need rent control, where we do not need constant tenant representation fighting against the onslaught of eviction. That is a positive yeah. project. Again, she's missing its implementation as much as anybody. And if she really thinks that her incrementalist policy, pragmatist policies will eventually get there, I think she's wrong. Um but I think she I think, shares that sentiment, and, and Dean does not. I, I think you're always needing rent control, and that rent control at the very least will be called land value tax because that's a way of controlling the rent that yeah. goes to land public owners. housing. You yeah. just set the damn rent. Yeah. You just set the rent. Yeah. Congratulations. You're not fighting with tenants. You're not making these stupid rules. You're not drawing lines in the sand. You're not making it so, so that I, new housing can't be you know affordable under these rules, etc. But I'll like, say this, I, public I, ownership. You deal. You wipe away all these things. Ellis Act interventions, TICs. You know, landlord BS. You are abolishing landlords by creating public housing. That should be the socialist position, and need to take it to that on those terms. And I guess that's a question. Like, if I am faced with a thoughtful incrementalist versus a misguided and badly mistaken radical, who do I? Who choose? might logjam the political process? Because yeah. if he. And again, this is something I've heard from a lot of people, um, reporters, Brown supporters, like housing people, is that Preston is found unpleasant to work with by anybody who's not a DSA hardliner. 
And well, listen again, to this show, had, and I think it'll warm up after he listens to this. <laughs> he hasn't. Had, I mean, he hasn't had an elected position like this before, and he, of course, should need and be given a chance to develop what it's like to work with your political uh, friends and your political enemies and recognizing them as such. But he's done a pretty bad job at recognizing who his friends and enemies are and why, which is why we are having this whole show. Well, I'll say this: like you say, DSA hardliner. I would say this: what if your problem isn't that you're, you know, not a hardliner? Because it's more of a, a party liner. Well, see, if, if you were a hardliner, you'd be a Stalinist and you'd be against Dean because yeah, for all these reasons. I'll just say this. I, I, uh, my housing policies are significantly to the left of Dean Preston's. And to the and to DSA in general. Yes, in DSA in general. Yeah, and I'll say true. this. And if they say, like, oh, I'm not a hardliner, I'd say, no, it's them who is a moderate. They are neoliberal and I am the hardliner. Well, let me get back to, again, like, it, I don't want to get on the hobby horse of, you know, grumbling about wokeness. But if you would put um, performative demonstration of of us versus themism or you know that the the greatest possible thing you could do is is fight landlords in this way and fight development in this way if that's the biggest leftism you have your class analysis is shallow yeah no it's not doing stuff it's about how many mal memes you post you know oh, yeah and then that that means that you actually are going to be doing stuff but you know actually or like flipping off the democratic party <laughs> like one of yeah. one of um preston's i think her, i think his campaign manager um when in like a sf democratic party meeting when they announced that yeah they yeah, they were right. hoping for non endorsed they the Democratic Party ended up uh, endorsing Brown over Preston and his campaign manager flipped off the group yeah that and was, everyone's in high dudgeon over it that was yes yeah, so that's the thing like which is I, funny that makes me like her and Preston more but like that's what these people are getting really upset about well that's two things it's it everybody looks bad there if you look back on this yeah. because I'll say if you take that in in isolation this is Jen flipping off the Dem Dem Party of SF it's like. That's actually pretty cool. You know, they yeah. suck. Yeah, but they do suck. But Congrats. here's, here's I agree. the thing. Everyone's saying, tisk, tisk, tisk. You shouldn't have done that, mm -hmm. young lady. It's like, well, you suck. Yeah, just, that's just really lame. Yeah. But here's the thing. They went to the Dems groveling for their endorsement, and they didn't get it, so they flipped them off. It's like, you can only do that when you have the high ground. You can't do it after you were groveling. Don't grovel and then act like you're cool for flipping them off, you know? Yeah, and like you have no... Like you're not elected yet. You don't have any power. You can't like. Uh, mm. That's like the yeah. the left signaling and symbolism over execution of actual power. That's what we're talking about here, folks. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I can't really speak too much about the power base building of of the land reform movement, but I would say at least <laughs> that it doesn't exist. Well, it's getting there. <laughs> but the liquefaction problems. The I, foundation is not strong. Yes, I yeah, but it the key is I think. It's that's a very long term vision, and I think it's a long road to get there. And the path for real radical change is not, I would say, kind of toying ineffectually at the margins of incrementalism. Yeah. This weird local minima. It's it's just it's it's a trap. And I feel it like is. and the the left of SF, which is I think one of the leftiest places, needs to get to a real within certain constraints and definitions. Yes. yes. No, I'd say it needs to get to a real place of trashing the Calvin Welch mindset and getting to a real left vision mm -hmm. and I we can't get there fast enough and we're getting yeah. there it's 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 grueling and again this journey like at certain point the the libs the mods will come along like the democrat just like the democratic party sf democratic party endorsing a mod instead of a prog like i don't know exactly what their history is and all this but um, their practice, their policy, steadily moving to the left, steadily moving towards like more of Murby types, and getting progs out of power is good, and getting this broad base who like 
like the the breed constituency, moving them, they can be moved left. You have to move them left by building coalitions, doing policy, et cetera, also bringing in people who don't vote. But the center's opinions changes all the time. That's why it's the center, because they're not committed to anything. They draw themselves between two poles, and they even brag about, you know, taking in both sides. And that's completely subjective. If you explain to them and lay things out in front of them and inspire them, they will move. They can and will move. They may not move fast, but it may move faster than you think. Just what Bernie Sanders was able to accomplish since his last campaign. A lot of people in the center of the country, they're still working within a framework set out by cable news that is gross and makes me sick. But they are taking a lot of what Bernie wants and good things, et cetera. And they they really want, they feel like they want to need it now. Yeah, and and Bernie has a real left housing vision, the federal level. Mm -hmm. And I think when you have left visions at the city level, you will see the center move. And Mm -hmm. I really hope instead of Dean Preston, we have a real left housing vision. It's like... A certain someone has to make the first move because a city can't do anything reasonable without without state and federal support except for saying no 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 to everything. Yeah, and I think that's what's so funny is that the people who are the hardliners are the people like no you got to protect the SF homeowners. Homeowners is is personal property. I have like these people who are like they would have like you know uh, hammer and sickle Stalin all over their banner. And their big thing is like, you cannot dispossess homeowners. It's like, that is not your left like, vision. Lin, like a Lyndon Johnson, like like the, the, le- the left of center, right of center, like it breaks down for a Lyndon Johnson like that. He represented like a majority, super majority of American political thought. And just like, yes, for the Vietnam War and um, made... He made the bargains that he did to get the social policies done, but believed strongly in those social policies. And if you asked him, like, if if you drilled down with Lyndon Johnson on what property rights meant and what they should take precedence over, he would he would he would laugh at you. Like that used to be, and that was the that was great American centrism was a centrism that was compatible with eminent domain and with huge public power and huge public expenditure. And we've come all the way back from there. It's entirely possible for it to move right back then yeah. if we attack this homeowner ideology on its own terms and make uh, property rights and stuff like that more than just a signal, make it actually something to politically unite about and legislate against. You need a new great society which is for change, for actual desegregation, for saying there's not just regulate landlords but really ending landlordism. You know, there mm-hmm. is this is like real stuff you need but instead, like, if, like, the wokest thing you can do is, like, let's just, you know, stop developers. Like, that's just, you need, yeah, it's just, that's not, that's not a bold vision. I mean, I got a vision. If if you ask me, you know, I could, I could already come up with some things that might, you know, be, that would be to the left of Dean Preston and maybe get people a little more excited. But, you know, I'm just here on the, on the, on the sidelines, too, and I don't know how to implement any of it. But it's, a your ideology is how you view all these things and who you think is bad, who you think is good, what must be done, what are the real problems. And you've got to get your ideology in line before you're going to convince anybody to do anything, affect any real change. And that's why talking about ideology like this is so important. We're not just complaining, folks. <laughs> complaining is changing the world. Well, I mean, real real vision is, you know, no profiting off of uh, of private land ownership, no displacement, you know, and just, you can say it just, you know, the cost of living goes to zero. Nobody is homeless. You know, these are real. That's an actual vision you can go for. And, yeah. you know, I think I think it's uh, 
it's the game plan is there if you want it. You are going to make some people unhappy. You're going to fight yeah. some hard stuff. Well, we should freely draw from the past for examples of how to build a city like this and build an, and build a governance like this. Not to not exclusively. Um, we can't build San, keep start to begin to build San Francisco like uh, Manhattan built itself in you know 1905. We can't do that. And we can't build public housing like we built in in 1960. We certainly can't do that or administrate it like well, that. Well, those Goodness are no. good and bad. The bad stuff about the old style is you make a lot of change. You actually have the dynamic, but you also create a lot of miserable slum existence. And this it is administrated is- by people who hate the people that are supposed to be benefiting from them, who hate the the underprivileged people who are being housed in these projects. They hate them. Yeah. And or t- who are administrating subways. They hate the people who take the subway because they themselves best, drive. At best, they were stuck with them because based yeah. on the technology at the time, they had to be in the same city. Yeah. The world has changed. Now people have much more choice in how they segregate. Mm-hmm. That's bad. Yeah. Yes, it is. And that was enabled with really without anybody choosing to. Like that was the federal government you know, pushing straight down the um, their highway funding, the interstate highway system that let these towns expand completely, completely organically, completely decentralized. Decentralized in this way, but only possible but all, with centralization. Yeah, they're all for this whole program of, of you know, white flight protected and by— Nobody pictured this. No one sold this on that basis, on the basis of creating white flight suburbs. No one—like Eisenhower did not sell the interstate highway on that basis, et cetera, et cetera. Sold for completely different reasons. The future was absolutely not pictured. No one had any idea in 1950 what it meant that— you know, L.A. or San Francisco would look like in 1990 or 2010. No one had absolutely any idea. But but material analysis, every step along the way, who are you supporting? Yeah. You're supporting affluent white homeowners. And it's not a huge shock that the more you feed the bad wolf, the more you get just absurd segregation, class right. segregation. And, and Or you might be really earnestly feeling like you're serving... Uh, you might be serving the American people, the economy, the great masses. Like the interstate highway system as exists right now is a massive socialized achievement. You can drive on these this trillions of dollars worth of highways. You can do it for free. It was built with public money. I would see that expenditure also on other things. Because of the failures of our system and of our ideology, it came at the expense of other things. And, if- and we let our cities develop in a way that relied on this extensively and not just kept those highways as a way to expand interstate trade and national security, which is how they were pitched, not destroying the American city, which is what it ended up being. Yeah. And and when you combine that with a lack of really dealing with spatial justice and land reform, you end up kind of just deforming this. It's like this massive cancer that grows when you, the core of it is never addressed. And when you give people, it's like, oh, we're going to let people get, 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 the, get the weight off of them for the, the kind of overcrowding and they want cheaper land out there. It's like, and you allow this, but you don't actually deal with the core issue. And that's, I think, a lack of a vision. Well, and the, the crowding, the, the pollution, et cetera, of the inner city solved itself in a way that nobody anticipated. Moving away from horses with horse and steam engines with billowing clouds and cars spewing uh, unburned fuel to the transportation system we have now, which is pursued for completely different reasons. No one anticipated it. Cities in, and like cities now, the inner inner cities are incredibly clean and incredibly uncrowded as compared to the reaction against what they were in the 30s, 40s, and 50s that pushed for white flight suburbs. I mean, the horses were out and you had the streetcars in for, like, I think, a solid golden age of, I mean, I don't want to be like too nostalgic. We hit the sweet spot and then we lost it. Yeah. 
but, but we, like your Robert Moses is that you know executed power throughout the 50, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. They remember, they remember horses in the street. They remember horse. Oh, shit. They certainly remember steam trains and open sewers and all that other awful stuff. They remembered it, yeah. and the cultural memory of what a problem is and how to act on it and why we're doing things takes a long time to catch up. Well, there are two ways to address it. Like white flight racism from the 60s still underpins these, you know, 60, 70 or 80 year old homeowners that and it, it underpins them strictly. And this is why anal- analyzing that is oh, useful yeah. for analyzing these people because they still remember. Oh, absolutely. And I think if you if you look at there is bad stuff, you can do the real left bold vision, which is let's plan something that's going to fix this and be sustainable in the long run, or you can kick it down the road with a short-term incrementalist program. And I think it's always worth looking at the long view. Or you can, you know, agitate and push ideologically and be radically left and then watch as the center takes up you know, broad and ambitious projects, which is kind of what the New Deal was like. Which is what Calvin Welch has done for his entire life. Yeah, it's true, but like the New Deal was, like the people fighting on the vanguard were radical labor organizers, people being shot in mine strikes and stuff. Yeah. And then it was taken up by a Roosevelt, and then it was taken up by a, a Robert Moses, for goodness sakes, like center, center right. But they were building and executing enormous public visions with enormous public ownership, et cetera. Like we can bootstrap this into it being the normal, well, and then we'll and then we'll complain about how the you know how the libs and the centrists. Uh, they have implemented single-payer Medicare for all, but it wasn't in, like, the spirit of, you know... Like, I want to get to that point where we complain about the centrists co-opting too much leftism and making a... And that they're in broad and, and reasonably well-implemented structures, like, not quite left enough. I would love to get to that point, yeah. but we're not there right now. I would say you describe that as a positive thing. I would say the lack of coherent vision for the New Deal is what kind of, I think, wore away a lot of it in the long term. It was kind of, let's do enough to keep the pinkos at bay, you know, and... <laughs> Because, again, it was immediately poisoned by anti-communism Yeah, was the New Deal. Yeah. So, okay, we're going to wrap up. Any any final thoughts? Um, If you are listening to this and in San Francisco District 5, um, vote how your conscience tells you. Uh, uh, Rock the vote, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pokemon, go to the polls. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, just, it bums me out. (laughs) This whole thing bums me out. Don't hate Ashbury. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, thanks for being here. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's good to come down and talk about all our favorite people, our favorite things, and all our favorite topics. Absolutely. And this election will happen. Um, that outcome of that will be the less important and exciting thing than what the elected person actually ends up doing. Yeah. I'm hoping some weird stuff happens. So. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to get weird. It's hoping some crushingly boring and normal. Oh, absolutely. So thanks again. Great. Thank you, Mark. We have been talking with Max Kapczynski all about why SF is so screwed up and depressing. You can find this episode and much more at the website seethecat.org. This is a presentation of KZSU Stanford. <laughs>